sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. My guest today is civil rights and religious freedom attorney, Sonia DeWitt. We're going to be talking about some very interesting Supreme Court decisions in death penalty cases. And Sonia's very interesting blog address, you're going to want to check out her blog at voicesfromthewilderness.net. That's voicesfromthewilderness.net. Sonia, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you. Great to be here. So tell us about these cases, what the Supreme Court was doing with religious prisoners who are, I guess, despite their religion, they're on death row, they're about to be executed, or maybe they have been. What's going on? Uh, well, the first case was, was really disturbing. It involved a Muslim inmate on death row who had requested to have his imam with him in the execution chamber. The prison's policy only allowed the Christian um, chaplain who was employed by the prison to be present in the death chamber. And the court, the interestingly enough, the Alabama Appeals Court, which, as you can imagine, is not a liberal circuit, um, had a very strong opinion supporting the his right to have equal protection and to have his imam in the chamber. Um, like the Christians had the right to do. Um, So the 11th Circuit had a very strong decision supporting neutrality rights, and then it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court denied his request for a stay of execution, um, theoretically, ostensibly, on the grounds of timeliness. Um, That really didn't add up uh, for multiple reasons, but that was their supposed reason. So... Um, the decision was not reviewed, and he died without his imam present. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm in California. I have represented prison guards. I've represented inmates. And we generally have pretty good diversity of chaplains in our prisons. Now, we have large prisons, and um, I don't know that there are necessarily Muslim chaplains in every prison, but uh, I think there's probably a pretty good number of them. And so there were no Muslim chaplains that were available in this Apparently, Apparently, the only spiritual advisor available at this prison was the Christian chaplain. Um, the prison made the argument that there were security reasons why they couldn't allow an outside person into the chamber. However, as the 11th Circuit pointed out, um, they did not provide um, any documentation or any specific arguments as to why this would be a security violation or why the imam could not have received the same security training that was received by the Christian chaplain. Well... You know, I've been in and out of prisons visiting prisoners, et cetera, uh, just so we're clear, never involuntarily. And, uh, you know, they're pretty good at providing security. I mean, they've got lots of guards and they're well trained. So the idea that allowing an outside 
And you do have a procedure for certifying clergy coming in from outside to provide services. So they do background checks, they do fingerprinting and all of the rest. There is a system for this. So, all right. So the court basically turns a blind eye or a deaf ear to a plea of a Muslim to be treated the same as a Christian would be treated and have the ability of, of a spiritual chaplain of their own faith to encourage them as they're being put to death. What's the second Correct. case? The second case was virtually identical, except that the prisoner was in Texas and he was a Buddhist. Um, but there was no Buddhist chaplain at the prison, and his request was also denied. In this case, the Supreme Court granted the stay of execution, and um, interestingly enough, Justice Kavanaugh, who has been known as very conservative, a very strong decision, um, concurrence, supporting neutrality in this case. And he quoted the same Many of the same cases that Justice Kagan had quoted in her dissent in the previous, the Ray case. So it was a very interesting um, about face by the court. And it was very encouraging to those of us who care about religious freedom. So had Kavanaugh supported denying the stay in the Muslim case? Um, I can't remember what the vote was. I believe he did, because I think it was a five to four vote. So, yes, he would have had to. Um, so, so Kavanaugh flip-flopped. Um, well, actually, this was a seven to two decision. So um, he wasn't the only one who supported, or at least who did not, um, did not oppose the stay of execution in the second case. The only two that were on the record as opposing it were um, Gorsuch and Thomas. So I noted you, first of all, you did an article about this in Liberty Magazine, and I should put in a plug, folks. Go to libertymagazine.org, subscribe, read it, the best magazine on religious liberty. We often have the editor here on Freedom's Ring. Um, I'm on the editorial board. So you note in your article that Thomas expressed very direct opposition to the principle of neutrality. First of all, would you explain what we mean by neutrality in the context of, of the Constitution and religious freedom? Okay. First of all, let me just clarify um, what I said in my article. The, Thomas did not write a decision in this case. So he didn't express any opinion. Um, he he voted against the stay of execution, but he did not write a decision. So there's not anything about his rationale for denying this. I am basing what I said in the case is based on his prior decisions and his his well-known philosophy. So I just wanted to clarify that. Sure. Um, so we don't know what he was thinking in this case, but it's rather easy to extrapolate from his prior decisions. Well, and he so he's expressed opposition to the concept of neutrality, as you put, say, in your article. He thinks the government can favor Christianity or monotheistic religions, right? Yes, that's correct. What do it's we so mean by neutrality? Well, what we mean by neutrality is that government is required to treat every religion and all religious beliefs the same. 
you cannot favor one religion over another. You can't discriminate against one particular religion or religious belief. That's the concept of neutrality. Right. And that's that's been pretty well established. It's pretty basic in American law. Government's not in the business of religion, and it's not in the business of picking winners and losers. And if you think about our kind of common attitude about politicians, it makes sense that we don't want our politicians somehow being arbiters of which religions to promote and which ones to restrict. Yes, I mean, that goes back to the foundation of our country and the um, the persecution that happened in both in England and early America against people of uh, dissenting religions. Um, and the founders of our country were really anxious to guard against that. And particularly in the 20th century, that has become a well-established legal principle. So... We have two cases, six weeks apart, a Muslim denied a stay, executed without an imam, a Buddhist granted a stay and an opportunity to pursue his claims to have his uh, a spiritual advisor, um, I'm not sure what they call them in Buddhism, um, but, uh, you know, to attend him at his execution. Is this just flagrant discrimination? hostility towards Islam, which is so common in America today? Um, or is there something else going on, do you think? Well, that's a very interesting question. And some people have proposed that idea that this was um, anti-Muslim discrimination, although the court has in the past, um, you know, supported the claims of Muslims, um, particularly I'm thinking of the Abercrombie case in which, uh, you know, she was found to be discriminated against because they didn't hire her because she wore a hijab. So there have been um, cases where Muslims were supported. So it's possible that that was the motivation, but I personally don't believe that was the primary motivation. Well, I would observe that the Abercrombie case was pre-Trump and that um, whatever you think of Donald Trump, we're not going to get into, you know, political and, and all of that here. But things are different now. That's all I'm saying. Things are different now. So whether it's influenced the court or not, uh, you know, listeners, you can you can uh, assess this just as well as we can, I suppose. But um, if it's not just discrimination, do you think uh, that they just had a change of heart? Well, um, in my article, I quoted a legal commentator, um, Professor Ilya Soman, and his take on it is, I pretty much agree with, that there was so much outrage. Um, I think my assessment is that the court was trying to slip this under the radar and that they really may not have been considering all the implications of it. Um, and they certainly, I don't think, anticipated the firestorm from both sides of the aisle. Because, of course, the right was outraged about the denial of free exercise, and the left was outraged about the uh, denial of neutrality. So there was a huge uproar, and I think that uh, that's my assessment, that the court was just, you know, kind of overwhelmed by by the tide of public opinion and wanted to clarify, you know, oh, we really didn't mean that. <laughs> 
because you so have you're to remember that the reaction the reaction to the denial of the stay for the Muslim prisoner was very harsh across the spectrum is what you're saying. Everybody didn't like it. Right. Right. There was a lot of outrage on both sides about this case. Um, so that's my assessment um, of why, you know, why the decision was made as it was. And I think it's possible that the court really had not considered how far reaching the implications of the first decision could have been. Um, you know, they may not have realized the, although it doesn't technically set a precedent, it does create an indication of what the court is thinking and that um, they may not have realized how bad that was. We're out of time. Been talking with civil rights and religious freedom attorney Sonia DeWitt about two decisions of the Supreme Court that flip-flopped on whether prisoners should have access to a, a chaplain of their chosen faith when they're facing execution. Sonia's blog address is Voices from the Wilderness. Dot net. Voices from the Wilderness dot net. Tanya, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you so much for having me. As we close, remember, friends, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. That's churchstate.org. And don't forget, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. <laughs>